Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, here today with a double feature talking about two separate topics on one of our favorite video game console manufacturers, at least one out of three, and that is, of course, Sony and their PlayStation 5 product. Now, I say favorite, and that's an important disclaimer to say at the top of this video, because I'm going to say some critical things about Sony, PlayStation, executive messaging, and whatnot, and I have said critical things about Sony over the course of 2022. I think they've really had issues communicating both with their customers and in the decisions that they are making and what they are motivated by. That doesn't mean that I'm not a Sony PlayStation fan. I still have one sitting under my TV. I play it fairly regularly, just as I do my Xbox and my Nintendo Switch. I love video games of all persuasions, PC, all consoles, and everything in between. But that doesn't mean that we can't be critical of them and their messaging. Now, I know that's not going to forestall a number of comments that are going to call me a shill for Xbox or Nintendo or what have you, but I do want to make clear that I want to see Sony succeed, and I think they've had a little bit of difficulty, even if it's excusable, on some of the messages that they've made in the past week or so. With that said, let's talk about the specifics here. So a little while back, I did a video on Meta, formerly Facebook, and their Quest line of VR headsets. I love the Quest. I love the Quest 2. I think that wireless virtual reality, VR is the future for that particular technology. And yet, I made a video called Meta's Big Mistake. And the reason I did was because they were increasing the price of their headsets by $100 in both sizes, And that, I felt, was an issue for their public relations, their actual goodwill that they have been attempting to build up with their product line, the Quest in and of itself. I also thought that it was going to give cover for the PlayStation VR 2, whatever that price winds up being, to be more expensive than it otherwise would have come in as. And again, I'm a consumer. I don't run Facebook. I don't make money from Facebook. I don't make money from Sony. And I do think that consumers would be well advised to take into account that these business issues that folks are facing on the supply side or inflation side or currency exchange rates are not, at the end of the day, their problem. And I say that a lot in virtual legality here, but I think it's important because for whatever reason, corporate messaging, these brands, they wave their flags and people get behind them and say, well, they're doing this because of X, Y, and Z. And that might well be the case, but that doesn't make any sense for you as the player the customer, the consumer, to espouse just on its face. And that's what's happened here. So Oculus did this. I said that they made a mistake. And then we proceed to PlayStation 5, Sony, who I promised basically in that video would not really be looking at a price increase for their console, which is why I'm now about to read to you from the headline on August 25th on the PlayStation blog, PS5 price to increase in select markets due to global economic environment including high inflation rates. Now, just in the headline alone, there are a number of issues that I think Sony and Jim Ryan, who we will see as the author of this particular piece, have with communicating with their customers. And that goes a little bit like this. The first section here, PS5 price to increase in select markets, suggests to me on just a pass-by reading that we're only going to be talking about certain geographies, very specific markets. We've seen things happen before in specific markets, and they're just highlighting for us, hey, maybe you don't have to worry about this, but it's not that big of a deal. As it turns out, it's basically every significant market on Earth, or at least significant in the sense that Sony makes significant amounts of money from it, with one major exception, 
And we'll talk about why I think that exception exists and why they're a little bit unwilling to talk about why it exists in this particular blog post. Then they start their excuse making just in the headline. Why is it increasing? Due to the global economic environment, which I think we can all intrinsically understand, it's a rough world out there right now, but also doesn't actually say anything, and then uses an example of including high inflation rates, which is really bizarre when we see what specific jurisdiction is excluded from this particular action on Sony's part. So you've got a mealy-mouthed headline as it stands, downplaying what's occurring, which is a major significant technological event, uh, putting this particular issue on the global economic environment, including high inflation rates, which doesn't seem to jive with what's actually happening here. And that, I think, is the biggest problem that Sony has had and Sony continues to have. We can make excuses for this particular action. We can understand why it occurs. I'm going to look at some analysis from some financial folks that talk about why they think it's happening. And yet, it still doesn't feel like Sony is playing straight with its customers. And its customers are not going to love this action. This is the kind of thing that as a messenger from corporate, Jim Ryan, president, CEO, Sony Interactive Entertainment, needs to understand is a significant inflection point for how people feel about the PlayStation brand. Understand in this scenario with this quote unquote global economic environment, many, many, many people who have wanted a PlayStation 5 have not been able to get one. We call it supply constrained because that's the genteel way of saying it, but Folks want this product and Sony has not been able to deliver it for very good and justifiable reasons in many instances, but has not been able to deliver it all the same. And now they're going and increasing the price on that product that you or the guy down the street might have tried to buy last week, last month, last year, and has been unable to do so due to Sony's failings. And now they're telling you it's going to cost more. And they're not going to tell you it in very collegial terms. Or as this blog post says, the global economic environment is a challenge that many of you around the world are no doubt experiencing. Let's stop there. I know we got one line into the blog post, but what you're trying to do as you draft this up, if you're Jim Ryan or the lawyers or the public relations specialists who put Jim Ryan's name on it, however it went behind the scenes at Sony, is now you're trying to say, we feel your pain, right? We're in the same position as you. You're no doubt experiencing this global economic environment, massive inflation rates, supply constraints, huge issues with even making ends meet in your home. And we're just like you as a global multinational corporation that sells you video game products and other technological devices. So because we're just like you, we're going to have to make some changes. We're seeing high global inflation rates as well as adverse currency trends impacting consumers and creating pressure on many industries. Now, those two sentences are accurate. They say the right things. Hey, this is impacting you. It's also impacting us. And so we're making the following choice. Based on these challenging economic conditions, SIE has made the difficult decision to increase the recommended retail price of PlayStation 5 in select markets across where? Europe, the Middle East, Africa, Asia Pacific, Latin America, and Canada. What other, what other jurisdictions are we even talking about, Sony? Oh, there is one. There will be no price increase in the United States. Now that puts paid to the lie that this is only related to inflation rates because however you feel about inflation and many, many countries are dealing with it right now, the United States is not exempt 
from inflationary pressures. The United States is as bad as basically anyone at this point in time with respect to inflation. We can talk about the whys that is monetary inflation, currency policy, all that kind of stuff. We're going to put that aside for right now. The point is the United States not exempt from inflationary pressures. What they are exempt from is this little highlight here that is entitled adverse currency trends. And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Suffice it to say, though, nothing about the headline and the first paragraph reads as terribly truthful or transparent. And I don't know about you, but that winds up putting me on edge. It's like, okay, guys, you're making this decision. It sucks. Everybody knows it sucks as a decision. The least you can do is be straight with me. And you talk about inflation in the headline, then you say the United States is exempt. And I say, okay, I mean, what's going on here? The other aspect of this is that these price increases are significant, right? You've got 10% increases in Europe and in other places. I didn't go through and look at all of the changes because Sony also didn't bother to highlight the change number. Now, I don't necessarily blame them for that. That's not going to look good for them in the long term, but it does make it harder to kind of analyze. We know it was 500 euros. Now it's 550 euros. They've maintained this 100 euro split between disk drive, no disk drive, which has rubbed people the wrong way from the start because a Blu-ray disk drive does not cost $100 pounds, whatever currency you're actually denominated in. And Sony has kept that all with the notion that this is necessary because we have to deal with this global inflation crisis and the economic environment that you all are experiencing. But this comes back to roost because people are experiencing it along with Sony. And as I've talked about in other spaces, video games, as much as I love them, and I get basically all of them or all that my budget can take, is still the tippy tip top of the luxury goods spectrum, right? Outside of super yachts and island buying money, video games are about as first world luxury type goods as you can imagine. And Sony coming out here and saying, well, we know that you're having trouble paying your rent or buying food. And so we have also increased our prices is just not the messaging that they apparently think it is. That doesn't mean that we can't understand, hey, your particular parts vendors are denominating your supplies in dollars and you're trying to sell them in pounds or euros or whatever else. And that's lowering your profit margins. And you don't want those profit margins to be lowered. You're a business. We don't expect you to go under just in order to keep prices. But you're talking past us. You're talking past the customers. Then you use words like this. While this price increase is a necessity, a necessity, given the current global economic environment and its impact on SEI's business. Now that actually changes the nature of that sentence, right? It's a necessity given that it's necessary to preserve our margins, right? Okay, so that's a certain definition of necessity. It doesn't do much for me sitting here in Michigan. Our top priority continues to be improving the PS5 supply situation, especially so now that we're getting 10% more so that as many players as possible can experience everything that PS5 offers and what's still to come. Oh, and then we have an asterisk, right? We, we covered all these things, uh, but also might not be complete. Select markets in those regions not listed above may also receive price increases. Check with your local retailers. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't list all of them out here. So you have this message from PlayStation with brand goodwill that I would argue is in a state of flux. Let's say that. Let's be generous to PlayStation right now that has gotten extreme competition from Xbox for really the first time in a, in a couple of generations, at least, especially in the United States. And you have 
a stock price in Sony that looks like this over the last year, right? Down 20%. Uh, In this last six months, down 20%. Sony is having trouble making ends meet across its product lines. We see games kind of reverting back to the percentages that are at least early pandemic or pre-pandemic, which honestly should have been the way that these game companies planned out their cash balances and what the future looked like because the pandemic was always a special occurrence, but you can't guarantee that they did that. And now Sony is scrambling according to them, because of high inflation rates while still keeping out the United States. Now, why is the United States kept out? Well, we can see a little bit more of that from some analysts. So I've got an analyst here, Piers Harding Rolls from Ampere, who says, I think the right things about what's happening, even though I think customers are going to react more negatively to this announcement and the future than this individual thinks they will. So he says, Console gamers are used to a gradual decrease in hardware costs over the life cycle of a console as the technology gets older and the parts get smaller and the engineering gets a little bit better. Yeah, they get reduced or they don't get reduced and they sell a slim version or whatever. But the unprecedented global economic environment has led Sony to increase the recommended retail price of both models of the PS5 across a wide number of sales territories globally with immediate effect the U.S. price will remain unchanged. Then he gives a summary of what we just read, and then he analyzes it. Given the fact that the PS5 has been severely supply-constrained since launch, with many consumers unable to buy Sony's latest console, and that Microsoft has shown no indication yet of increasing its Xbox Series pricing, in fact, they've said that they're not, there is no doubt that this price increase will have been a hard decision to make. Now, I don't know that given supply constraint actually makes this harder. A supply-constrained economy here in PlayStation 5s, I think, makes the decision easier because you don't think that you're actually eating into your profits because you still think the folks that are waiting in line are going to be willing to pay those amounts because, hell, they're less than what scalpers would charge, right? However, with inflation and price increases being felt throughout the component supply chain, much of that priced in U.S. dollars, which I think is the key, alongside continued high costs in distribution, Sony has now had to pass on some of those cost increases to try and maintain its hardware profitability targets. Again, the use of necessity and had to pass on a little bit strong. It follows price increases across the consumer electronics sector, including Meta's Oculus Quest 2, which saw $100 increased in early August. Yeah, they're not alone in this. Although wide-ranging, the PS5 price increases are relatively nuanced and are taking place in markets where the impact is being felt the most with an added layer of squeeze coming from the strength of the U.S. dollar. Price increases will take place in at least 45 markets globally, but not in the U.S., due again to the strength of the U.S. dollar currency. Now, this is just him kind of prognosticating as to how these theories are made. The U.S. is the biggest console market globally and where Sony competes with Microsoft most closely for market share. I would say that has a lot to do with it as well. If Microsoft and Xbox doesn't exist, the value of the U.S. dollar wouldn't prevent Sony from otherwise raising the price because they're already doing it across the globe. The major factor here, in my opinion, just like this is in this analyst's opinion, is that Microsoft is winning in the United States. Microsoft has dedicated its resources to the United States. And Sony, even though they're based in Japan, is increasing the price in Japan, is increasing the price across every other region because they are not winning the battle in the U.S. And this is the most lucrative in terms of video games jurisdiction to win. While we believe there will be disappointment for some consumers that have been trying to buy a PS5 without success or that were saving to buy the console just in time for the price to increase, the high pent-up demand for Sony's device means that the price increase of around 10% across most markets will have minimal impact on sales of the console. 
we expect Sony's sales forecast for the PS5 to remain unchanged. Right, because PS5 is selling through everything that it can put on shelves. So an increase in price is not expected to reduce what they can actually deliver. If it reduces anything, it would be at the tail end of that supply line. And they're not getting those PlayStation 5s out to the market to even be valued in any event. At this stage, there is no indication that Microsoft will be increasing prices for its Xbox Series consoles. After this was written, they've said they won't. Undoubtedly, Microsoft will take advantage of Sony's increase to push its value message. I certainly would, especially around the Xbox Series S, Game Pass, and all access offer as we enter the holiday shopping season. As such, this move hands some advantage to Microsoft. Indeed, it does. Now, in terms of that price and currency concept, in order to understand it, you really do have to look at the global currency exchange rates, which is, God forbid, not my area of expertise. But you can see when you talk about euros against US dollars, they're down 15% on the year. Same with British pounds, they're down 14.9%. Australian dollars are down 5%. New Zealand dollars are down 12%. And it's only when you start comparing the dollar to the other currencies that they go up, which is showing more strength to the US dollar, particularly US dollars versus uh, Japanese yen. US dollar is 26% stronger than when it started out. So in essence, if you're Sony and you're building Sony PlayStation 5s and you're paying vendors and suppliers and other contractors in US dollars and then going and selling them in markets for euros or pounds or yen or what have you, you are making less money on the back end in that profitability. And so this is the way that you have decided to try to fight it. That isn't specifically an inflation issue, which again, as I've said, is not anything that would exempt the United States from this kind of analysis. It's a strength of currency and the fact that Xbox is here that I really think makes the case for why this is happening the way it is. Or as I tweeted out, every major market except the US is certainly a choice. Hello there, Xbox. And as I further tweeted out, if I'm at Microsoft, I'm strongly considering a minor reduction in price, along with a marketing campaign about players versus payers, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I do want to reflect on one question that I've seen in a number of places that was asked to me when I posted this and when I was talking about this issue. This is specifically from Jay at Ivor Badak on Twitter. You don't think this has anything to do with Sony's stance on the Microsoft acquisitions? Now, if you remember here in virtual legality, Sony has said Call of Duty is a very special type of product, the Activision deal could take that away, could move people over to Game Pass, could hurt their bottom line, which again is something that competitor authorities aren't actually supposed to be that worried about. Uh, And Sony has said this should be something that is allowed on our platform, saying how do we ever compete with one of the richest companies in the world? Look, we have to put up our prices. The answer to that is pretty flatly no, right? And I said that to this particular Twitter user, but in essence, Sony has basically undercut its own argument about Xbox's monopolistic or market power. By increasing the price of their console, they're effectively allowing these regulatory authorities to do what is usually a hypothetical kind of test. And that is the small but significant non-transitory increase in price or SNP in economic terms. Now, if you followed Epic versus Apple, or if you've looked at other antitrust regulatory competition type topics here in virtual legality, you know that this is the somewhat kind of scientific way that regulators try to decide on what the proper market is to determine when somebody's a monopolist, when they have market power that can change or restrain trade. And they do this by essentially guessing as to whether or not someone could become more profitable if they increase the price of something, usually by something like 5% for a year or more, so that consumers know that it's not just a short-term thing and that they can wait out. If they increase that price, would they become more profitable? And I will tell you this, Sony has put a billboard up, 
has signed a neon sign and otherwise told the world that they believe that increasing their price by 10% in most markets on earth will allow them to be more profitable in selling their console. And if anything, that is indicative of significant market power and inelastic demand from consumers for the PlayStation 5 5 console. So any regulator that wanted to look at this particular scenario and use it in their defense of allowing the Microsoft deal would be able to do so because nobody expects Sony's sales to go down, which means everybody expects them to be more profitable or less unprofitable with this small but non-transitory increase in price. And so when people ask that question, it's interesting that folks look at it in that direction because I look at it in exactly the opposite. Sony had to know that if there were any chance of stopping the Activision deal, this hurts that chance. And I've said throughout that I don't believe Sony thought that this deal could ever be stopped. And I don't think that their answers to the Brazilian authorities, as we've discussed in the space, indicate that they think it could be stopped, but rather that they can do certain things to get a consent decree or a settlement or whatever any jurisdiction calls it to make sure Call of Duty is available on their system. But as for this particular price increase, I would argue that it's poorly messaged. It is understandable, but it's not ours to understand and that it is going to significantly and negatively impact whatever goodwill status PlayStation as a brand has in these various jurisdictions. As soon as the crap hits the fan for Sony, they're willing to jack up the prices on you, regardless of whether the fact that you're having difficulty feeding your family, keeping your lights on, or otherwise keeping a roof over your head. That's just how they concept this out. And I think that Microsoft and their marketing arm is going to have a significant advantage talking about getting through these times together with Game Pass and saving money on the hobby that we all know and love and that kind of thing. And no, I don't love it in either direction. I don't love being able to say Sony made a mistake here. I would prefer that they didn't. Uh, And yet that's what I see here. And that's what I've seen for the past year in Sony's decision making, right? They have a PlayStation Plus model that is a little slow to come to the market as a kind of shadow game pass. They are moving clearly outside of their console specificity that they started the generation with in order to more appropriately compete with Microsoft. And yet Microsoft has that first mover advantage because PlayStation has been so slow to react. When we started this generation, I said that PlayStation had decided on their walled garden console uh, model to go on for at least another generation. Microsoft and Xbox was moving in a different direction and Nintendo is always off doing whatever it's doing in Nintendo land and making money doing it and more power to them. Sony has instead taken this top of this generation and decided to pivot, decided to change away from supporting specifically its console base, where it has that goodwill, where it has that cachet, and trying to expand into PC. And now, as of the second part of this video, into mobile. Because it was this morning when the PlayStation blog put up a post entitled, Welcoming Savage Game Studios Plus, Expanding Our Community. Today, we announced that we have entered into a definitive agreement to acquire Savage Game Studios, a hugely talented team of creatives with many years of experience making some of the most popular mobile games enjoyed by players around the world. Now, I said, hey, I've never heard of these guys. What have they made? And as it turns out, this sentence, again, a little bit of corporate speak, the individuals involved may have made some of the most popular mobile games enjoyed by players around the world. This particular company, Savage Game Studios, doesn't appear to have made anything as of yet. It's a pretty traditional, small studio kind of web page, but I was looking around, just show me one game that you've worked on and it doesn't appear 
that they've worked on any. They're looking for people to join them though, and they're now owned by Sony. Why? Well, as Sony continues, they were founded a few years ago with the goal of fearlessly exploring bold new ideas. We share their tireless ambition to innovate, along with a continued drive to expand our audience and bring PlayStation to more people than ever before. Hmm making them a perfect fit to join PlayStation Studios. What does Savage Game Studios CEO have to say about it? Well, established in 2020, which I will note isn't actually a few years ago, if we're being fully semantic here, it's two years or potentially less. And led by myself and fellow co-founders Najim Ajir and Michael McManus, more on him in a minute, Savage Game Studios was born of our many years of mobile game development experience spanning a number of massively successful global intellectual properties. Our guiding vision was a creative space where experimentation and taking risks weren't warily avoided, but rather eagerly embraced, which is why we signed on with a big national global uh, brand. We've all worked at big studios, and while we respect the advantages of ample resources, we wanted to stay small and nimble so we could call our own shots. It's just a really weird paragraph for we were just bought by PlayStation, isn't it? So why then, you may be thinking to yourself, would you join PlayStation Studios? Indeed we were. We made this deal because we believe that PlayStation Studios leadership respects our vision for how we can best operate and succeed and because they too are not afraid to take chances. All of that, plus the ability to potentially tap into PlayStation's amazing catalog of IP, highlighted in red because that's what this is about, and the fact that we will benefit from the kind of support that only they can provide, the harder question to answer would be, why not? On behalf of everybody at Savage Game Studios, thank you for having us. We can't wait to show you what we've been working on. Back to the PlayStation voice. As we assured you before, with our plans to bring select titles to PC, our efforts beyond console in no way diminish our commitment to the PlayStation community, nor our passion to keep making amazing single-player narrative-driven experiences. This is the doth protest too much section of this blog post. Hey, you've expanded into PC. Clearly resources have gone there either directly or in your acquisition phase. You bought Bungie for $3 billion to do live services, which we will see is what is described as to what they are working on right now at Savage Game Studios. It is reasonable for folks that have enjoyed the PlayStation console experience to say, are you a little distracted? Are you a little distracted either in literal terms by just focusing on a bunch of other things or just in resource-based terms because of what you're buying and the emphasis you're putting on PC ports and now mobile ports, mobile gaming. It's been a tremendous year for games on PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4, tells Sony, with huge releases including Horizon Forbidden West, Gran Turismo 7, MLB The Show 22, and on November 9th, the highly anticipated God of War Ragnarok. PlayStation VR 2 is also on the horizon and promises a huge leap forward in presence and immersion bolstered by best-in-class software that we haven't really seen like Horizon, Call of the Mountain, and we're proud of our upcoming releases on PC as well. Now, I think most people that look at the video game industry would classify this as a somewhat weaker year, right? You've got Horizon at the top. You've got God of War Ragnarok at the bottom. MLB The Show is no differentiator anymore because either by MLB license or otherwise, it appears on the Xbox console. So you have a relatively weak showing at PlayStation 5. You have PlayStation 5s that are unable to be sold. You've got this increase in price. We don't know what the PlayStation Plus transition has done yet in terms of the financials. I would be surprised if it was a significant driver in helping Sony and PlayStation out. And as a result, you have that 20% plus decrease in the stock price of Sony. It's a tough time to be running Sony right now but you don't have to gild the lily. You can say, hey, you know what? We're still going to take care of you, but maybe not describe it in these in these terms. I don't think 2022 is a year that's going to be hung on the PlayStation wall of fame. Our mobile gaming efforts will be similarly additive 
providing more ways for more people to engage with our content, right? So what's the message here? We're not going to take away from you. They're not distracted. There aren't resources going elsewhere. These are additional resources. Don't worry about it. And striving to reach new audiences unfamiliar with PlayStation and our games. Savage Game Studios is joining a newly created PlayStation Studios mobile division, which is the real headline item here. Uh, which will operate independently from our console development and focus on innovative, on-the-go experiences based on new and existing PlayStation IP, which sounds a lot like Nintendo's attempt at this initiative, which has now basically been scuttled, where they ran uh, a Mario game and a Mario Kart game and Fire Emblem and Dr. Mario. Uh, And Sony's going to be trying its hand at this, and this is probably part of why Bungie was purchased, right? One of the things that falls through the cracks on the Activision deal with Microsoft is King, Activision Blizzard King, that K is one of the drivers behind why Microsoft is purchasing that company to get into mobile, which is a area of video games that isn't as covered as much either here or in other kind of consumer facing outlets, but is very, very, very lucrative. And this is Sony's bid to put more resources into those products. I hope you'll join me in welcoming Savage Game Studios into the fold and that those of you who enjoy mobile gaming in addition to console or PC will look forward to what they have in store. They're already working on a new unannounced mobile live service action game. Hmm. Now we'll talk about that because this is a little bit odd, right? This is a 20 some odd person studio. Hasn't released anything yet that PlayStation is touting here. Probably didn't have to spend a lot of money on. And why are they the cornerstone first purchase of their new mobile division? Well, it's a little bit hard to parse out, but it certainly seems like they've already had a relationship with this company of some kind, making this AAA experience, or as described here in the subheading of the investor-facing press release, a AAA mobile live service action game, and decided that it was worthwhile to pick them up before it was released. Or as they say to their investors again, this acquisition reaffirms SIE's commitment to delivering innovative experiences to new players around the world by expanding to additional platforms and further demonstrates its continued emphasis on fostering the industry's best creatives. And then we get a little bit more detail than they just shared with the customer side. Savage Game Studios is led by veteran co-founders Michael Katkoff, that's who you heard give the quote, from Rovio, Zynga, Fun Plus, and Supercell. Yep, those are big mobile companies. Najima Jir, Wargaming, Rovio, and Gree. Yep. And Michael McManus, Wargaming, Insomniac, and Kabam, who collectively bring decades of mobile game development and operating experience. Their team is already at work on an unannounced new AAA mobile live service action game, which I'd be willing to bet is Sony IP related, but we'll have to see where that comes from. Now, I did point out, we talk about Michael McManus. That, to me, seems to be the major connection here. He's listed as, for five years, being a senior gameplay programmer at Insomniac before wandering the mobile wilds and coming back to found Savage Game Studios uh, on, it looks like, what, uh, January 1st? Uh, Something along those lines. I can't quite read what appears to be German, so I apologize uh, for that. In 2020, October 2020. So yeah, if if they're formed in October of 2020, uh, then they aren't two years old. So when they say in their press release or in their blog post that they were founded a few years ago, they aren't even two years old at this point in time. And I do think this is how relationships work. You have these connections, you have people work with Sony. Sony says, yes, that's the direction we want to go in. This is a good starting point. And then that's what they tell their investors. 
As Herman Hulse says, PlayStation Studios must continue to expand and diversify our offering beyond console, bringing incredible new games to more people than ever before. Acquiring the talented team at Savage Game Studios is another strategic step towards that goal. I'm really excited about what Savage is working on, and I'm confident they will deliver a high-quality experience, despite never having delivered a game before. Our move into mobile, like our expansion into PC and live service games, strengthens our capabilities and our community and complements PlayStation Studios' purpose to make the best games that we can. That might well be the case. That is Herman Holst's strategy here. Another look at it might suggest that they are diversifying past their core competencies and may well wind up regretting everything that they're doing on this score. We'll see. Nintendo backed off from mobile game development. We'll see what Sony decides to do. They've obviously put their money where their mouth is, especially with getting Bungie's live service experience in, and that's what is emphasized again here. SIE's efforts to reach gamers wherever they play, be it mobile PC or live service offerings, as if they aren't on mobile PC and console, will continue to complement its existing expertise building unparalleled single-player narrative-driven AAA console games. And we're not telling you the terms of this transaction because they're too small to be material to you. And so that's what we have decided to do. So Sony, in the course of a single year, has really embraced PC, has tried to embrace a Game Pass model, while still consistently saying that Game Pass can't work for AAA titles, has gone into live service, and now, as of today, has increased their price on the PlayStation 5, and also said, we're getting into mobile, but please, don't worry, console people, everything's going to be fine. What do you think? Is everything going to be fine, or is PlayStation, at least right now, floundering for what their direction is going to be. I look at this and say they're effectively behind the eight ball. They're operating as Microsoft did two, three years ago when framing out what it was that they were going to be. And whether or not that affects their overall market share and future in this business is ultimately going to be up to folks like you uh, and consumers in the market in general. But I wouldn't want to be going out with the messaging they're going out with, the bean counting that I can see all of the financial considerations that Sony is showing when they're not necessarily delivering the products that I would want them to deliver. I'm just one person, but what do you think? Leave a comment to this video to let me know. Otherwise, if you enjoy these conversations about the business and law of technology, video games, pop culture, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We cannot do it without support from viewers and listeners like you. So please do check out our Utreon, where more of your resources get to the channel, and Patreon, which is a little bit better known and you might be more familiar with. Or if you don't like either of those options, subscribing, telling your friends, becoming a YouTube member, all these various things help. Upvotes, downvotes, comments. Thank you so much. I appreciate that support. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And now that more podcast channels have reviews, if you do listen to it as a podcast, please do check if you can give a review to it. I would very much appreciate that. That helps us get in front of more people and grow this awesome channel that I'm so, so proud of even more. Otherwise, thank you so much for watching or listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.